Burger. Burger Bites is recorded on location in Ozark, Missouri and presented on Anchor. The views expressed on Burger Bites are not necessarily those of the staff and ownership of the Grip and Rip Baseball League. Enjoy the show. Baseball fans in Toronto, Ontario, Canada have followed the Intercounty Baseball League for more than 100 years. A 23-year-old shortstop by the name of Tony Lewis spent some time in the IBL as he grappled with what to do next with his professional career and his life. It was that summer with the Toronto Maple Leafs, no, not the team from the National Hockey League, but the Toronto Baseball Maple Leafs that served as a turning point in Tony's life. The IBL provided an inspiration that Tony would bring back to his hometown of Springfield, Missouri. Those IBL memories and the renovation of what is now U.S. Baseball Park spurred Tony to found the Grip and Rip Baseball League in 2016. In a market that already had some attempts at amateur baseball and plenty of softball, Tony Lewis tried to establish something different, something more serious. And I, and I always say it, I'm not knocking softball, but when you have guys that have devoted the time and the effort through all their training, through high school, through college, you got to give them an outlet of, of real baseball. And that was really what spurred the beginning of the GRBL is I knew we had to do it not only just as a regular ragtag men's baseball league. I, you know, we've had men's baseball leagues here in the area for a little bit. I know Nixa had one. And, and, and I had played a little bit in it when I was even in high school, played against these older guys and for those guys to get an outlet. And I was like, you know, we're going to do the same thing, but we're going to do it as if we're going to treat them as professionals on a professional level. And that will breed the talent level of what we're trying to get. And in season one, that talent level with those four teams that we initially drafted in the original 60 it supported everything that I thought that uh, Ozark could be in what the GRBL could be. And in, in now we're here five years later. What was it about that, that Ontario Canada experience that you really wanted to uh, try to replicate here in the Ozarks? You know, was it the TV contracts? Was it their game day atmosphere? Was it the quality of play on the field? You know, what are, what's, the, what's the big sticking point uh, that you're, you're borrowing from Ontario? You know, the TV contract and being able to watch us play a game after it was done at a local pub called the Maddie, which I kind of consider like a Ebbets field concept <laughs> here locally. The biggest sticking point was the camaraderie of the guys and the friendships that they form and how all of these guys that play for the, the Toronto Maple Leafs, they are the bestest of friends and they know everyone else in the league, and it's still a, a friendly feel, but it's still extremely competitive. And I think you can tell from the interviews you've already done, a big sticking point, and in in, in it's not something that holds on is that the relationships that are formed within the teams and the players themselves is that they're, they're able to find like people like themselves that they, that they didn't think existed because they have a common cause and that's playing baseball at a high level. That's the absolute sticking point of what the GRBL is. I don't want to, you know, belabor something really difficult here, but I, I do want to 
go circle back real quick and touch on uh, the time you ultimately left the Quebec capitals. And, uh, you know, as difficult as it may be, you make the decision to leave independent professional baseball. Um, you know, how, how difficult was that decision at that time? And I guess, can you give me an idea of just that decision-making process and, and what ultimately led you to decide to move home? You know, it's actually really funny and serendipitous that you asked that because I was a kid watching the Ozark Mountain Ducks play and I was sitting there with my older brother, Alex, who had, uh, you know, who had coached me a lot through my career. And I kind of made a decision then. It's like, you know, if baseball kind of gets to this point to where I'm kind of playing for not at a, you know, at the level that I wanted to play at and just really just grind it out. Cause I'll tell you this, I have the utmost respect for every single indie baseball player out there because it is a 100% true love of the game. It has zero to do with contracts or money that's being thrown around right now. It's because they want to be there to play a children's game at a high level. And whenever I played that first year of indie ball with Quebec, I'd always kind of reverted back to, you know, Hey, do you want to keep going with this? You know, at that time, I wanted to start my professional life. I had met the woman that I wanted to marry, and I wanted to come back to Springfield. I didn't want to be on the road anymore, and I didn't want to have to play for peanuts, even though I love those peanuts. Don't get me wrong. I loved, I loved playing ball, and I loved playing for nothing. But, like, you know, as I, as I was getting older, a 23- and 24-year-old rookie trying to enter into affiliated ball was kind of a little bit more of a lofty of a concept. And so after I, I gave it my go and it was hard because I couldn't watch, it was very hard for me to watch a minor league game or really any professional game after I stopped playing baseball. Cause I knew the politics involved around it. And I knew that kind of the love of the game was lost in what I think what's kind of rekindled my fire for baseball is I found 80 to 90 guys that have the same love that I do for the true nature of the game and the love of the sport. And now their families get to see them play again. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I want to, I want to scream this league at the, at the, the highest mountaintop because I, I know how special it is for people. Um, it was hard. So to get back to your question, it was hard for me to quit, but I've had a rekindled life for baseball since starting this league. Uh, let's let's talk about those pioneers, those first four teams that made up uh, what became known as the Grip and Rip Baseball League in 2016. I mean, I know you mentioned some ex-pros, and we can we can look back on it now and just just talk about all those guys like they were just fearless pioneers, and and we all knew it was going to work great. But, you know, we also heard Rob Neese's story about uh, a guy wearing catching equipment he'd had since he was 10, trying to catch a 90-mile-per-hour fastball. <laughs> it was a little shaky, I know, for, for some of those young prospects. So, you know, what, what do you recall about uh, that formation and the, uh, the, the coming together of the ballplayers? Well, in that first year, I was actually really terrified 
on what our tryout turnout was going to be. But then when I saw, you know, all the people show up that they did and then it signed out to play, it was just, just invigorating to, to see like, wow, we got something. And, you know, those first four coaches, it was me, Skinner, um, Barrett, and Logan Hughes, who's the assistant coach of Drew now. As we drafted our teams, we had a solid 60. I mean, it was a group that we knew that each game was going to be tough. And if I, and if I recall, the first season was very neck and neck with every team. And I want to think every season actually been pretty, pretty good, even evenly balanced. But then after that first season that we successfully ran through, and I think the word of mouth spread well enough is why we were able to facilitate six teams. I do feel like six teams is the, is the current and best structure for the league. You know, I would love to grow to eight, but I just don't think that's the makeup and model of, of our league. I think, you know, with the turnover, I think you had mentioned it on our previous interview. That's just kind of the way, the way how things work. You know, guys play, they love it. Nothing against them. They, they don't, they can't play the next year. Therefore, we have to bring in new talent. And um, we've done so. And, and we've been able to spread the word uh, really well. Even in a COVID-impacted season five, uh, we had over 100 tryout participants and we still had to make cuts and to form six great teams to where ultimately the championship game could probably be marked up as one of the best, most watched competitive games that we've ever had in the GRBL. You, uh, you can't beat a one-run ball game in your championship that goes to extra innings and there's, there's late heroics and it was, it was the stuff of a Disney movie and it's, it's going to be the stuff of a great American novel that Ethan Bryan writes. But <laughs> <laughs> The Ozark Mountain Ducks defeated the Springfield Metropolitans 4-3 to in 11 innings to win the Howard Bell Trophy on October 25th, 2020. Hey, have I ever told you about Veet relacing? You can't walk on the field with any old glove it's got to be your glove. At Veet Relacing, Chandler understands exactly how important your glove is to you. Whether you need some new laces or a full restoration, let the Iceman Chandler Veet care for your glove and get you back on the field ready to make a big catch or strike somebody out. Find him on Facebook at Veet Relacing. That's V-E-I-T, Relacing, and he'll get you back in the game. Now that we've made Mets pitcher Chandler Veet relive the 2020 championship game a little bit more, let's go back to Grip and Rip Baseball League founder and commissioner Tony Lewis. Kick it back real quick. I want to focus in on the turning point from the end of season one into the beginning of season two. Because, you know, any sports league or organization can keep the wheels on the bus for one year. But to be able to come back and do a second season and to try to do it better than the last that had to take a lot of doing. So can you talk me through what was going on behind the scenes to make season two a reality? You know, was, was first to try to hold on to that original 60 group to come out for the next year. Um, but then the challenge the next year, as well as it is every year, is what can we do more? And I believe the next thing that we did in season two was try and have a, 
members only perform a concert on the concourse. And that was like our big opening thing was, hey, not only are we going to do grip and rip baseball, you're also going to be playing in front of a, a, you know, a very popular local 80s cover band <laughs> that's going to perform a concert that evening. Yeah, for, real um, quick, for the, the uninitiated and the unfamiliar, members only has a tremendous following in Springfield, Missouri. I mean, I've, I've seen them play JQH Arena associated with the Bass Pro Tournament of Champions, and they just, they blew the roof off of, uh, off of the queue that night. It was awesome. Oh, yeah. So a really good friend of mine was an owner and drummer at the time. His name Justin Gabasi. And I told Justin, I go, Justin, I got this. I got this baseball league. I have a venue. We can do whatever we want at this venue. And I want your band to play. And uh, let's try and make something happen. And uh, we, <laughs> on top of trying to organize a league and do the tryouts, I'm trying to organize a, a band, a concert event, which is a, a beast all on its own. But what was really cool about that was I think we had about 800 people show up for the concert, but those 800 people also got to see the tail end of a GRBL game. And a lot of the GRBL guys hung around. You know, back at that time too, we were able to do a lot more for the players as far as a banquet night. You know, we feed them. We had like Mexican Villa come in and, and do a big deal. We weren't able to do that this year. But I think to answer your question, like how 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 did season two go, or, and how can you make season two feasible? Literally, the word of mouth of the sixty players that made a team. Season three was when we made the upgrade to the live stream and the and bringing you on. And I remember throwing out a, a job description on the internet, like, hey. We need a play-by-play someone, and and I remember listening to your pitch, and there was like two or three other pitches that were behind you, and I'd research you, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is fantastic! <laughs> I was well, I, can, I was I was so elated that, and I'd listened to your stuff, and you told me about your previous work in Camdenton, and I'd researched you, and I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And then when I heard you, how your show has progressed. And the following that you've gotten has progressed. It's just a natural upgrade. And, you know, that upgrade in season three was huge to me. But season five was the towns, kind of getting the, the towns involved and creating logos for each town. And then I think in season six is, you know, you might be getting to it, but I've never been this excited this early for a next season as I am now. <laughs> for season six. Well, the uh, the statute of limitations is up on it now. I'll, I'll fill in the folks at home with a quick story. So um, it was actually a friend of mine happened to see the GRBLs ad uh, on Facebook looking for a play-by-play announcer. And he said, hey, you should totally do this. Uh, at the time, I was transitioning between jobs. So I just thought, well, why not? And I actually sent you, Tony, uh, it was a clip of me doing high school football. Like I didn't even have... Uh, baseball material to send to you. So I sent you a clip of an old football game instead. And then I remember you came back at me and said, Hey, we got to hear you do baseball. So I dragged my wife out to a <laughs> collegiate game at U.S. Baseball Park, make her sit there and hold the cell phone while I do an inning of summer collegiate baseball. Just the two of us sitting in the stands and me talking into the phone. And that was my audition for the GRBL. So it's, it's been, uh, quite a ride ever since. 
I remember that. I remember that clip you sent me where you were sitting there. I could tell you were sitting in the stands and your competitors had actually had some baseball clips they had sent me, but your knowledge and the voice and like, and, and how you did things. Uh, I, I think it was always, it was a one man crew at that time, which was me. And I'm like, ah, gosh, that Rance's. He is no doubt the guy we need. And, and what I'm proud of is, you know, we've grown with you and Kevin Robertson, who does such a great job, and Harrison Waters, who films all of our stuff now. I mean, we got a really live product. And, and, and I'm just excited to share that with Southwest Missouri, man. I hope that we've all gotten, I mean, I hope I've gotten better. Uh, I, th- I think we as a group have gotten better. So it's it's been exciting to at least feel like some improvement has occurred over the course of those three years. Uh, you know, Tony, what has been the biggest surprise to you over the course of this five-year journey? You know, is there something that's that's blown up bigger than you thought it would or some kind of aspect of this league that has taken on a life you never anticipated? Yeah, and... I think it's the importance of winning the title. <laughs> That's um, been the greatest pleasure to me. As you know, we we name it the Howard Bell Trophy, and I and I found this big bell online to, to order in, and that's our trophy now. And I have this big base that we engrave all the champions' names around it. But the importance of to win it and ring that bell and blast champagne with these guys, it makes it really real. And when you could not have had a better moment with Mark Blem, I know we've talked about him a lot lately, but that really means a lot to me to where you have a guy who uh, works for his family tool company and never played collegiate ball, but then yet he's thrust into a moment of you know, a lot of anxiety and importance and he delivers in front of, you know, his 15 teammates who are cheering him on the hundreds of fans. Again, I can honestly say hundreds of fans (laughs) that were cheering that on and how everyone went wild about it. I would say it's the importance of winning a GRBL title is what's really been a really great surprise. I just didn't want people to think like this is like he had mentioned in a show previous. It was a a bush league or a you know a church softball league or nothing like. This is actually a. It's become a meaningful championship to these guys, and that's that's so really cool and amazing to see. Well, when you you get a hit of the magnitude that Mark Blem had, people are going to talk about it. Oh, hey, 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 I'm gonna say this too. Let's not forget. Let's not forget uh, uh, Harrison Broadstreet, man. He yeah, tied his, that game. His hit in the ninth was big, and then of course, you know Clay Murphy, who was uh, an NCAA Division One pitcher at Missouri State, uh, just turned in a tremendous outing in that game. Oh, seven innings plus, and then Harrison Broadstreet hitting that line drive over shortstop to tie the, the ducks were at their final out we were almost getting ready to toast the springfield metropolitans but harrison would not would not see that through at all yeah we we're all ready to give uh, a post-game mvp award to chris matlock from the mets and and rightfully so he had absolutely earned it after a, a brilliant pitching performance of his own but 
uh, Harrison Broadstreet had other ideas down to their last out. He delivers in the clutch. That's uh, I was I was sitting yeah. down there with my brother and uh, Ian, my middle brother, who takes care of a lot of our legal stuff. And Ian's been such a great supporter of the league. And I'm sitting down there with him, and I'm sitting. We're sitting there watching the ninth inning, and he was like, "Man, this is great baseball." <laughs> and I was like. I know, man. This is this is what it's all about. I've encountered that too. You know, I had family in from out of town for the 2019 championship game, and they were, you know, they were expecting just just to come out and have some fun at the ballpark. But everybody walked away, uh, just blown away at the quality of play and how hard the pitchers threw and uh, how skilled the fielders were, and and so on and so forth. So uh, the GRBL kind of uh, flew by their expectations that night. Uh, you know, I wanted to talk about um, some of the challenges that this league faces, you know, uh, not just COVID-19. Let's disqualify that from the discussion for the moment. But, you know, what do you see as the biggest uh, challenges or, or the biggest obstacles that this league is facing before it will take the next step and, and gain a little more popularity in southwest Missouri? I think the biggest challenge is community engagement with all the towns that we've delegated these teams, our, our individual teams to, the six teams to uh, Springfield, Moon City, Nixa, uh, Branson, Republic, Ozark. We need to get them engaged. We need to have them feel the town pride uh, to support their teams. I don't think it's player engagement. I think we got that. I, I think we will have players next year. I, I don't doubt that. But what I, I want to grow this thing into is, you know, the same thing like I was talking about with the IBL was people getting extremely supportive behind their guys and their teams and uh, taking it to the next level. I think my concern over the last several years is I need to try and fill a 5,000-seat stadium the best I can with the product that we have because we all know it's great. If If you're involved with the GRBL, you know it's great. You know the stories behind all the guys. You know it's great. You know it's a good product. It's trying to get the people who have no idea about it. And I think we've been going about it the wrong way. And so I think the biggest thing for season six, and I, I've shared with you a couple things, is delivering a live stream product that we can show them to where they don't even have to leave that the seat of the cushion of their chair or their couch is they will see what we're trying to do. And I think um, we're going to completely upgrade the live stream experience for people. You know, we did a great job with not-for-profit support with our community not-for-profits. You know, we raised over almost $1,500 for them. Um, We need to keep that type of energy going, bringing people out, bringing kids out, doing the Little League Home Run Derby like we did. The sponsors, I can't thank them enough. Henry's Towing, Elite Promotions, Great Southern Bank. I mean, they've, they've always been with us. Uh, we need to grow our sponsorship, and we need to grow our viewers. And as opposed to trying to beat our heads against the wall of, let's try and fill these 5,000 seats, let's just bring the product to them to where they will see it on their phones in their laptops. And I think that's what we're going to try and do for season six. I can't speak better, you know, for Kevin Robertson, what he's done for the league and 
what he does with his in-inning games, you know, it, you know, it's not, it's just, it's more than the league. I mean, this guy is running around doing mid-inning games, you know, ping pong challenges and races around the field. I mean, we're trying to incorporate every other minor league game aspect into our league and he's doing such a great job. I, I can't say so much for Kevin. He, he, he does, he does a lot for us. Yeah, best thing about Kevin is there's there's always uh, different fans who get picked for those things. You know, if I remember being a kid and, and going to games and thinking the people who got to do hula hooping or cupcake eating or whatever were just so lucky that they got picked. But if you're if you hang around the GRBL long enough, you're gonna get picked to do a, a between. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. Just make sure Kevin isn't throwing an errant ball behind you when you're doing an interview. You know. Head on a swivel at all times. <laughs> so, Tony, we'll, I want to wrap up with this. Can you summarize for me uh, your hope for the future, not just for season six, but for you know the lifetime? What do you want to be the legacy of Grip and Rip Baseball? What I want for the legacy of, of Grip and Rip, I, I had thought that it was franchising out to these sub-market metropolitan towns kind of along you know the states Kansas City St. Louis Tulsa Chicago those type places I think what what I'm trying to do what we are trying to do as grip and rip is create something here in the Midwest that is such a staple that it pulls people to that makes them cheer for their six teams and we create a couple thousand people in the seats and a couple thousand people tuning in online. It's to get these guys, put them in the limelight again when they hadn't been in the limelight for X amount of time. Because like you said, in one of your shows is the season's ended. These guys go back to work and that's it. And, you know, not many times at your own workplace are you celebrated by champagne burst if you close a deal or you sell something or something that it's to give these guys a cherished nine to 10 weekends of this is a serious deal. And I, and I want to do this for my fans, for my family. I, I, I want this to be just notable. And so that all comes with sponsor and fan support. I think we got the player support, um, but we have got to do a better job of getting the community involved to seeing the story and what we're doing. On an upcoming episode of Burger Bites, we'll take a detailed look back at Tony Lewis's playing career and life in baseball. We share the story of his move across the town of Springfield, Missouri, his flight across the Atlantic Ocean, and a wild drive across Canada that changed his life. Until then, Please like, subscribe, and share and tell the baseball fan in your life that you're listening to Burger Bites on Anchor or on Spotify. Until next time, good night from Ozark, Missouri. And you can find out more at thegrbl.com.